Au fond de tes yeux, de tes yeux si bleus, je vois quelquefois danser la mer. Au fond de tes yeux, de tes yeux si bleus, je vois l'infini d'un beau ciel clair, et je m'imagine sur un blanc voilier où nous voguons à deux tout un été. Good morning, class. Welcome to Art Eater podcast number 55, the Valentine's Day podcast. Can you feel the romance in the air? Today, our theme is love in video games. We will discuss our favorite love stories, couples, and even our favorite game mechanics in <laughs> games. Sorry, this is so ridiculous. That was good. Let's keep going. Keep going. Let's no, get I'm it. I'm leaving it in. Keep going. Yeah. I'm your host, host Richmond, founder of Art Eater, and an ardent Epicurean when it comes to all matters of art. Oh, okay. And sure. uh, with, with me here is uh, Sean. Uh, hello, uh, I'm Sean. Uh, I'm uh, normally here walking down the beach with a cup of coffee. And uh, I uh, edit the Barry White tunes that uh, we uh, put out every week uh, just to make sure everyone is in uh, the right mood to talk about video games. James, you can go ahead. <laughs> yeah, James, let's uh, go. This is James Stanley, uh, resident heartbreaker. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's not much I can really say. I'm, I'm always consumed by the love in the air that I create when I animate. And uh, I'm just glad to be here today. Ha, 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 l'amour, mais oui. Bonsoir, this is Thomas from France, the, the, the country of love, Paris, oui, oui. Uh, you just, <laughs> it, just, just so you know, if you ever watch Emedy in Paris, that's true French life. Like, of course, this is, we all dress like this, we all live like this. So I just wanted to say that I'm going to try to bring as much French love to you folks as I can today. And uh, well, I'm glad. I'm glad to be here again for l'amour. <laughs> hey everybody, it's Adam. Pleased to be here once again on this momentous heart-shaped occasion. I'm a game level designer, pixel artist, and also international taekwondo fighter, marrying all forms of art together. Uh, here to spread peace, love, and some warm digital hugs on this wonderful Valentine's Day. I also go by Adrian on Twitter, so you lovebirds can follow me over there at Adrian Ice. I'll just share and retweet all kinds of cool art and projects that I see, and I go full heart eyes every time I see people putting hard work into their projects. So without further ado, with full hearts and bright eyes, take my hand. Let's dive into this, week, into this week's podcast. Let's get lovey-dovey. Let's do it. Let's go. Yay, love. Putting heart work into their... Okay, of course. <laughs> Let's get lovey-dovey, baby. It's Valentine's right, Day. Woo! All right. All right. Let's all right. get it, guys. Okay. So, what what are you? What, what's your favorite romance uh, in games? Out of uh, out of uh, all all video games that you've played, what, what's your favorite uh, couple or, or or love story? Who wants to start? I I, I, I can. 
Okay. Oh no, oh, you, you, which one? Which one you go? Which one you go? Yeah. Oh yeah. no, I was just gonna say if no one else has has one. Uh, That's cool. Uh, I, I, I want to hear yours. I want to hear yours. I'll go first. I'll, yeah. I'll tie it back around. I'll, I'll, I'll tie it back around. Which which one you start? Yeah, let's get it. Okay. <laughs> okay. okay. L'amour. All right. All right. Uh, so my my favorite love story in games is uh, I, I thought long and hard about this, and it is uh, from Odin's Sphere. It is my favorite mm. couple and love story is uh, Gwendolyn and Oswald. So um, I, I, Odin's Sphere is just one of my favorite games you know uh, it's it's mm. the game that put vanillaware on the map internationally right i think they had uh, done princess crown which was a japan only release before that amazing mind-blowing game but uh you know um uh, vanilla uh, sorry odin sphere that that was a game changer i remember sean you remember when that came out like we we that that was a showstopper like everyone at work went out oh yeah 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 our own copy it was so exciting because it was like the only um not it, it wasn't just the only new 2d game of the era it, it pushed like the boundaries of what could be done with 2d in games like they were so innovative with the art style and uh, it, it's just such a beautiful lovingly crafted game and then and it, uh, yeah it really yeah. didn't seem like the right time to release that except it was the perfect time yeah yeah, kind of awesome end cap to the PS2 era. Um, anyways, getting into uh, th this game. Um, so so uh, Gwendolyn, you know, is the first character that you play as. Um, and uh, I, I just, I really liked how they developed the relationship with her and Oswald. Like, it, it, it could seem uh, cliche if you just read, like, an overview of it, right? It's, um, you know, two characters, they start off adversarial, and then uh, through twist of fate, they kind of end up in an arranged marriage and they they fall for each other. Uh, by the way, I'm going to give you getting into like some spoilers in case you haven't played the game. Um, spoiler warning. I, yeah, yeah, spoiler warnings. But I, I think it just absolutely works out because um, it's not just a coincidence that they fall in love. It's like they, they were really meant for each other uh, because... They both have the most terrible parents. They both have like absolutely <laughs> awful fathers, and they've both through been through, um, yeah, really, really like terrible experiences. Uh, but in spite of that, they try to be good people, and then um, so they they have an understanding of each other's experience that's much deeper uh, than they could have with any anyone else. And I, I think that's one of the big themes of the game too is like not repeating the mistakes of the previous generation. And I, I think they do it so well in that game because, you know, like like uh, Gwendolyn, when she starts the game off, um, she's obsessed with getting like her father's approval. Right? And her father is Odin. You know, he's the, the person the game's named after. And he's always um, kind, kind, kind of true to uh, the mythological Odin. He's always scheming and like, uh, you know, very, very... Um, he's not just like a brutish fighter. Like he's always just plotting on how, how to get ahead and... He pretty much views uh, his kids as just like, uh, uh, you know, pawns. Like he he knows his daughter loves him, and he really takes advantage of that. Like he sends her on these terrible like suicide missions, and you know she just really really tries to prove herself to him. And then in the same day in Oswald, uh, he is adopted um, by um, a character named um, Oh shoot, what was his father's name? He was a fairy. Um, dang it! Uh, I I forget his dad's name, <laughs> but uh, he he has you know uh, again like this. 
No, no, no. Uh, give, give me one second. I got to okay. Google it. Sorry, I'm so bad with names. Oh, Melvin? Melvin, yeah, yeah. It's it a very yeah, plain uh, kind of, kind, yeah. Yeah. Shout out so, all the um, Melvins out there listening. Yeah. <laughs> um, so again, you know, like uh, uh, Melvin uh, just just pretty much just picked him up, like, you know, and, and and just raised him as a servant, right? He doesn't really look at him as, as a son, even though naturally a child being raised by an adult will look to that adult as their father figure. But to Melvin, you know, he treats uh, Oswald as just, uh, he literally, in his dying breath, tells him, like, I always just considered you a tool. <laughs> like, he's just a really terrible person. And then um, I think the game does a really good job of uh, developing this relationship between the two and and showing that they slowly, you know, come to uh, this realization that they, they've been through similar things and that they, they actually want to support each other. And I, I, I like it because it's not... Um, it's not obsessed with like the tragic element of it, right? It doesn't. It doesn't end in tragedy. It ends with them overcoming, uh, you know, the, the, these these terrible um, outlooks on, on on their own life that they've developed, and and just finding, you know, real agency, like real control over their own lives. I, I like it because it's a really uh, supportive relationship uh, that they they develop, and it, it's just very genuinely sweet the way it plays out, like. Uh, if, if if you just read a wiki, it might sound cliche or forced, but when you when you play through the game, it, it, I, I think it develops very very naturally, and it's nice to see um, it's nice to see like a healthy, <laughs> supportive uh, relationship uh, uh, blossom so convincingly in in you know in this cool uh, beautiful game. So yeah, I just I really love that game. Oh, and by the way, if if you like the game, there's a really good article of, of, about it um, written uh, for Kotaku. Ages ago, uh, by um, it, it, I, the the writer is uh, she used to be like a Nickelodeon child actress, uh, Lisa Foyle. That's right. She wrote this great article on Kotaku. Is um, the title is "Looking for a Video Game That Is a Literary Masterpiece? Try Odin Sphere." And uh, you know she does a really good job articulating a lot of the stuff I talked about, but you know much more eloquently than I've been attempting to. Uh, describe it so that's it it's a great read up yeah yep so that's it that's, wow. that's my favorite my favorite I like story it. Cool. Okay. who's next yeah i dig it i dig it uh, i can um, jump in yeah um, no sean chung or sean yeah. uh cool so uh this will if you, anyone who knows me will probably not be surprised by uh my answer uh around this so i, I think uh, my favorite couple has got to be uh Faye and ellie from xenogears ah uh. Oh, ah yes, nice. yes. Yeah. Nice, nice, so nice, nice. uh again there's there's gonna be spoilers there's gonna be a lot of spoilers uh so i i think that what's so what's interesting about uh Faye and ellie is when you're introduced to them in the game you really are introduced to them as enemy soldiers and um they actually are pretty frosty with each other it's not uh it's not a very kind of clean uh they jump into each other's arms like they they do uh, a lot of work up front to kind of demonstrate how they become affectionate over time, like how um, they, and so so within the context of the first part of the game, in terms of the timing, they kind of keep finding each other. Like they, they always separate, they're, you know, they're on, they're on enemy mm. sides of a war, um, 
they're they're not quite like in love at least initially they're in fact there there's a lot of i would say unlike richmond's example i wouldn't say that it starts off very healthy right like it's uh there's a lot of them kind of burying their pain into each other or like blaming each each other or using the other person to like let out some of their anxiety or fears and stuff yeah there's a lot of resentment at the beginning Mm -hmm. yeah and Mm -hmm. But like throughout the game, at least early on, you keep you get separated a lot. Like there's large parts of the game where um, Ellie and Faye are in different uh, places entirely. And of course, this entire backstory, if you don't know much about Xenogears, like the the, the underlying uh, narrative actually relies on this idea that Faye and Ellie continue to reincarnate um, throughout the ages of human history. And they find each other as different people over time. And then they kind of uh, go back and relive um, a lot of their past lives um, over as they become more connected. Uh, like once you start getting into like the <laughs> the underlying story of Xenogears with like um, the the way that it, it talks about God and the way that it, it it thinks about like connection and lineage, it's pretty interesting. But I, I in terms of like a a love story, I I liked actually that they really spent a lot of time making each version of Faye and Ellie, like you can see how they became a couple within the era because they explore three or four different eras. Um, but they explore two or two of them really in depth, obviously the modern one, the, the current war, uh, between Kislev and Ava that you're playing through. Um, and then they also explore like a, a previous version where, uh, Ellie was the, the Holy mother of, uh, what's basically the Catholic church sect. <laughs> it's not called yeah. that, but that's in the game. And then, um, <laughs> And then later they also ex- explore them as like molecular scientists that invent like one of the characters, uh, Esmeralda, which is like effectively their daughter. And there's a lot of obviously interplay between Faye's struggle with uh, the sides of, of his personality and his his uh, kind of destiny as part of God. But so it's a very complex game that has a lot of nonsense in the, the plot that takes a long time to get to. <laughs> but I really like how the, the core of it actually continues to come back to, to Faye and Ellie's relationship. Um, and the fact that like they find each other kind of inadvertently, it's like this idea that they're that the um, that they're drawn to each other and they don't immediately fall in love, but there's this 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 connection, and they find that. It, and to me, the, the the reason I like it so much and that's an important theme is you look at it as, hey, maybe uh, I don't know if you've seen other stories where people kind of explore whether or not like someone may be together just because of their circumstances. And I think it's a it's a nice message, at least within the context of uh, how deep this game gets with like like theology and meta metaphysics and questioning like what things mean. Where it start it has this kind of core loop around these two people find each other and the traits that they both see in each other that are important to them and the way they deal with their trauma continues to keep happening because it works for them. Like they actually do find comfort in each other. And it has nothing to do with their circumstances or how they were raised or um, a lucky happenstance. They are, are in fact, uh, they are kind of the balm for each other's pains. And they're both very broken mm. people. So it's it's a very, like, not healthy look at a relationship. But it's still very, uh, I don't know if inspiring is the right word. But it's just it just kind of feels very nice. It feels very satisfying when they actually pay it off at the end, uh, in my opinion. So Yeah, oh, it's cool. I, 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 especially if you play it as a teenager, it is like the most <laughs> romantic game. Yep, yep. This idea of like 
this love that sp spans like multiple lifetimes and reincarnating and it, it's so epic oh, it, that is the definition of like an epic epic uh, game in scope and i interesting to note uh, two of the main writers were uh, married you know to each other like a married couple wrote this game mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and they're, so, they're actually so the ones that have continued writing like xeno saga and whatever like yep. the xeno the xeno oh, series wow. is like their passion their life passion yeah. project yeah, yeah it's uh, tetsuya takahashi and uh, soraya saga that's her pen name um uh, her actual uh, real life name is uh sorry kaori tanaka and um yeah, if you follow her on Twitter, she draws a lot of JoJo fan art. <laughs> <laughs> that's cool. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, yeah it's right. uh, kind of what Richard's saying is, like, this is also one of those games where all the characters are, in fact, teenagers. So they actually kind of act like teenagers. <laughs> yeah. Um, I oh, mean, yeah, you have to stop and question, like, hey, why is a teenager, like, a major elite officer in, like, a massive military organization? It's like, don't, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Just drama. <laughs> Just pay attention to the <laughs> drama. It's that Gundam yeah. wing energy. Yeah, yeah. For real. Just, just <laughs> ride the, especially just ride the gears, drama. They also have giant robots. Um, yeah, well, some yeah, Eva, and, and, Eva and it, stuff. Yeah. And it's Wang Feihong as Jesus. It's an incredible game. Like, yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. It's, it's amazing. Damn. Sounds right. Okay, I want to run into mine real quick. Okay, so mine is... My mind's quite cool. It's, it's not explicitly stated that these characters are like in love specifically but that's kind of why i want to talk about it because like it's a it's a popular like fan interpretation kind of that they are and it's very like kind of heavily hinted that these characters care about each other in some different ways obviously possibly a bit more than just a than a than an eventual friendship but what i'm talking about is the game pokemon mystery dungeon so this character in this game this character yeah this this character it's called gengar check this out so there's a Gengar in this game, and there is a, a Gardevoir in this game. Now, these are two Pokemon that, if you've yeah. seen them, you know, drawn and stuff like that on the internet, they're often drawn together, and they're drawn together for a specific reason, which I'm about to get into right now. So, Gengar in these games, originally, Gengar has this team of... Sorry, actually, no, I'll break down the actual game first. The game, you get sort of... You, you get ported into the world as a human being, and then you end up becoming a Pokemon, and then in the Pokemon world, you have to, you know, go around form your own uh, team of explorers and you have to just figure out how to you know either try and become a human again and get your memories back or you can try and actually just explore the world and meet new friends and stop different calamities and disasters all pertaining to this one uh, storyline but there are other teams just like you that exist within this world and there's another team in the very first games called team meanies and their introduction to the game is basically they confront the player <clears throat> And they steal your, your mail that you can get in this game, the letters that you have. And they explain that they only became a rescue team for wealth and power that it gives them. So that they've got, you know, the whole classic hopes for wealth and domination. They have a, a Gengar, an Ekans, which is like, you know, the little purple snake. It says Ekans. It's like snake backwards. It's kind of cool. Mm. And you've got this Medicham Pokemon, which is a, yeah, everyone, everyone loves Ekans. It's great. And you've got a Medicham, uh, this uh, psychic fighting Pokemon. Very, very interesting design and shape language. I love that one. But Gengar is like their leader. He's like their main, their main, uh, their, their head honcho, so to speak. So 
basically, fortunately for the player, just after they leave, Pelipa delivers mail, like, again. And at some point, the players and team minis become rivals and you end up meeting again. So the next encounter that you have with this team is after you get given a job to rescue a Pokemon called Metapod. It's a little baby, little baby bug Pokemon. It's not very strong. It needs help rescuing. So team minis, they challenge you, the player, to try and save that Metapod first. And if they succeed, they try and force Caterpie to join them. So the player has to confront them later in Sinister Woods, where they're defeated just before arriving and just before retrieving Metapod itself. So basically, this team, at the very start, they're mean. They're the team minis. They are your rivals. They are people who, you know, are quite vindictive and they're just trying to be controlling and they want to basically succeed at any cost for the money and the fame and the power which they'll get by becoming a successful rescue team. That's what it is that they're all about. So further on in the game, as, as a plot thickens and as things continue to change, uh, Gengar starts eavesdropping on the player and on, on the player's partner too. And you see Gengar sort of start to change slowly over time in finding out more interesting bits of information about who it is that you, the player, are. As you figure out, you know, what your background and what your past is, Gengar starts to feel, interestingly, they start to feel a bit, I don't know, sad, a little bit wistful perhaps they start to feel a lot of different things a lot of different things start to come out of Gengar 2 they start to spread untrue rumors about how the player is the cause of all these natural disasters and must be destroyed to save the world they cause the residents of Pokemon Square to heavy to he sorry to heavy um hardly run the player out of town because they don't want to do that to you but like they have to because of what Gengar's kind of said so Gengar starts turning everyone against you and you end up becoming a, a fugitive, like a vigilante of sorts, of like running around in these, you know, frosted wastelands trying to survive whilst, you know, all these people are looking for you because Gengar's told them that you are the cause of all of their problems, all of these natural disasters, earthquakes, flash floods, fires, tornadoes, all of it. It's your fault. So because of this, everyone tries to hunt down the player. Most of them give up at this area called Mount Blaze, but Gengar remains in the square, having assigned himself this role of like intelligence gathering about the situation. But he later learns about that situation from Medicham, the Pokemon I mentioned earlier, who've met with this mystical Pokemon called Ninetales, a Pokemon with Ninetales very important later on. But yeah, Ninetales is full of uh, wisdom and uh, mystical power. It, it emanates a, a great deal of intelligence. And Ninetales knows all type of type of vibes. So yeah, Gengar tries to protect uh, the rumors by pressing the player partner for like, hard evidence about like, you know, why are all these things happening? But Pelipper delivers proof in the form of newspapers that all the stuff that's going on is not your fault. So everyone, you know, decides to finally just agree. After Gengar's uh, rumors have been proved to be malicious lies, everyone reads it all out aloud, and everyone chases Team Minis out of the square, which is great. I'm mentioning this now because later on in the story, Gengar starts looking into people's dreams. Gengar uses a move called Dream Eater, which Gengar's use, and it sees in your dream that you are speaking to a Gardevoir. And when Gengar sees this Gardevoir, he backs off and he starts to cry. And after that crying, Gengar hears about how this Gardevoir is speaking to the player about how this Gardevoir was brought into the Pokemon world and how about how the player was brought into the Pokemon world to save it from destruction by a falling star. And then, most amazingly to me, as a, as a kid when I was playing this game, you kind of realize, as you, as you put the pieces together and stuff like that, Gengar and Gardevoir, they know each other. And it's like, how do they know each other? What happened? What's going on here? What's, what's going on there? Gengar runs off crying after looking into the player's dream. And it turns out later on during the story, it's a spoiler, so you can hop forward by a few minutes if you want, don't want to get spoiled, but it's, it's a very old game, so you probably would have heard of it anyway. But yeah, so it, it, you end up finding out eventually that Gengar used to be a human being just like you did. 
And it took all of this to occur to figure out that Gardevoir was Gengar's like partner, like partner Pokemon. And they had a really like good like relationship until Gengar, um, one time they touched a, a Ninetales' tail and it put a curse on the trainer because it's what Ninetales do. If you ever touch a tail, if you ever grab one of them, you get a curse for like a bunch of years. But Gardevoir got in the way of that, of that uh, happening and uh, they absorbed the curse. And in Gardevoir getting in the way, Gengar kind of like pushed them like a bit more in the way. It's kind of a bit skew if as to whether they pushed them, whether they got in the way. But in essence, Gardevoir got cursed kind of instead of Gengar. So terrible thing happened. And you end up finding out about how much they kind of um, end up growing to care about each other and how they end up sort of like trying to right this wrong in their prior relationship and stuff like that. So I just think it's really interesting because it's like you don't really hear so much about like you don't you don't really hear so much about like relationships in terms of not 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 of them being like you know massively like love ink specifically but like this is kind of like a very intimate relationship still but just in like another format and kind of like the trust in there that kind of you know went wrong so to speak and how it is that that's um being dug back out through the revelation of different memories and the way it's kind of like unveiled throughout the game and stuff and then seeing such a mean character end up you know growing a heart in such a very you know a grinch like fashion right you see a guy who's just a complete and utter just like a mean person terrible doesn't care about anyone else he's only in it for the money and themselves just you know isn't worth uh you know like it isn't isn't worth thinking about in terms of being like a long-term like friend or partner or anything else like that and then they end up you know becoming exactly that like they end up being someone who you could trust someone who you could talk to but most importantly they end up actually fighting to try and protect everybody else too. So there are different areas of which you see, then and they end up kind of like joining you to help you out with your team and everything else like that. But in the manga of this whole story too, like Gengar starts throwing themselves, you know, into danger, into harm's way. Like Gengar starts actively, you know, being a much better, you know, person in terms of their personality and who it is that they actually are. So I th- I've always thought that was really cool. The kind of um, it's kind of like the whole like enemies to lovers kind of thing. But instead of just like enemies to lovers, it's just like terrible person to like good person. And then like not only just like a good person, but like a complete, you know, change of um outlook on their on their own life and stuff, while still retaining parts of who it is that they are or were and stuff. So yeah, that was my. Uh, that was my pick. I had another one, but I wanted to go with this one because it's a bit different and I thought it would be cool to talk about because, yeah, it's a game that I think lots of people should play. It's a lot of fun. It came out on the Game Boy Advance many, many, many years ago. It was a Pokemon um, <clears throat> Pokemon Mystery Dungeon, a Red Rescue Team and Blue Rescue Team. You have that on uh, GBA and on DS2. Yeah, just a bunch of fun. And yeah, get into it because if you type in, I'm telling you, if you type in like just Gengar, and Gardevoir, like you'll see them together like all the time, just anyway, whenever they're kind of like together in art and stuff. But yeah, a lot of people just, um, I suppose, in different Pokemon communities, they've uh, they've thought about these two being together for a very, very, very long time. And there's a lot of like art of this like that exists on the internet too. So yeah, definitely check a lot of that out. It's very, very cool. I pick. Nice, it's a nice one. Yeah. Yeah, that was. We stand yeah, a relationship. Very, very... Special choice, wow. Uh-huh. It's funny as well, because, like, this, uh, a lot of these um, games and stuff, like, they made a lot of people, like, cry. And I'm just looking <laughs> at all of the art now that I've seen. It's like, you see lots of art on, on DeviantArt and stuff, and it's obviously, like, younger kids drawing these. And you see some art which is clearly, you know, drawn by someone that's a little bit older and stuff. And it's just, like, they all have, like, this very cute, like, sentiment. Like, this just feels so 
it feels very wistful and, and nostalgic, but in a very like playful kind of a way. It's just it's just really cool, and I think that these two um, two Pokemon are very very interesting. Like one so light, one so dark, but also funnily enough, like Ghost and Psychic type are kind of like uh, you know super effective. So like that's the whole deal as well. Like they're just like, mm-hmm. they're polar opposites, but in essence, like they come together in ways that you know denote a, a positive thing, right? At the end of the day, it's quite nice. Yeah. I got you flowers. It was super effective. Oh, of course. Like literally, no, that's it. Like it's it's that's literally it. Like that's the whole deal. It's just like you wouldn't even think that that some that two just random characters like this would have such a you know a, a love story, so to speak. But yeah, people really um people really care. Like even just in researching this just briefly, like I was looking at lots of art, and like there's a lot of like there's a lot of Gengar and Gardevoir like art out there that exists, and like yeah, people who know what I'm talking about, they'll know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Okay. Right, cool. I'm throw the little ball to James. I, Let's go. Or, or, or Thomas. <laughs> no, no. I want. I want. I want Sean to talk about us about the about a, a game. Like I'm sure he's uh, he's ready now. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go. All right. Uh. So <laughs> for me, this is going to be super specific and kind of simple is uh <laughs> i feel silly even talking about it because nobody talks about this uh necro and effie <laughs> oh street fighter yes. 3 oh yeah um, oh cool yeah yeah yeah, yeah. it's uh That's a very yeah. innocent and simple but i think given however you feel about how stories are told with street fighter characters it's probably best for it to be like fairly simple um Basically, Necro and Effie were captured by the Illuminati uh, organization that was ran by Gil. And they basically bonded through the trauma of being experimented on in the G-Project. Within the Street Fighter story, I guess you would say, in Second Impact, uh, Effie, actually, this very... She looks like Necro in the sense that she's like pale skinned and she's got like a very sort of quirky like style fashion sense. Uh, but she looks pretty frail. She doesn't look like she's very strong. Um, but she actually saves Necro from a trap that Gil had laid for him to be like killed or destroyed or further experimented on. And, you know, the thing is, is that they're bond they bonded through obviously the trauma but they became lovers and the fact that instead of it being the typical i'm going to save my girlfriend thing uh it's actually effie who uh actually saves him uh from the perils of of gil and they end up uh escaping on the top of a train to escape out of russia so in my mind i sort of have this very like sort of gritty, sort of snowy, blizzardy sort of feeling of, like, how cold they might be, but they're actually finally away from all of the terrible things that were happening to them. So, uh, I don't know. It's a very simple, like, love story thing. Uh, in As much as I hate fighting Necro on Third Strike, uh, I feel a little bit of empathy, like, when I manage to beat a Necro player and then, like, Effie slides out and, like, lays next yeah. to him. I'm like, ah, You know? But, yeah, it's something that a lot of people don't talk too much about but uh i think it's one of the sweeter uh romantic couples that i've seen uh in the games that i play i really love the 
<clears throat> the animation when he wins when Necro's like, mm-hmm. oh, and she, yeah, and like yeah, a, yeah. Scene, yeah. a perfect slight delay before Effie comes yeah. out <laughs> because mm. she's always mimicking him, so she has to see what he does to like actually do it. So it's it's mm-hmm. cute, like it's a really like yeah, adorable, uh, yeah. Like and it's and it's done. It's communicated in such a simple way, like in the game. Like there's no crazy convoluted story to it. There's no. It's like you know the endings happen. You see it, and you're just like, wow, like that's really cool. Like and you can accept mm. it for, you know, its simplicity. Um, you know, it's. I don't know. I I, I kind of like stuff like that within uh you, games you know, where i was watching a couple of video essays recently that were kind of talking about subtext and writing and they're talking about that some of the best characters and character acting they don't have to tell you a lot about what you need to know about them and I, I think you're actually right on that like sometimes uh you you don't need to make something really overt in order for you to tell a compelling like character narrative yeah, it just gives you just enough information to digest it and to just feel it intuitively. Um, and I feel like with Necro and Effie, like it's just something that you you sort of see. And it even sort of affects the way you see her when she comes out because in Third Strike, she's one of the Judgment Girls. Like if you ever like do two draw games and the game has to like judge who wins, like she actually. Uh, is out there with the judgment girls, like turning the, the signs. So like, even when you look at that, it makes you think like, Oh, you know, like, <laughs> like that's, 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 uh, you know, Necro's like girlfriend and, you know, not that that's all she is. It's more of like, you just re- reminded of like his connection to her in the world of like street fighter. So it's kind of cool. Um, I think it's probably, and this is probably a little controversial, but, uh, I feel like their love story is stronger than Ken and Eliza. Um, oh, just yeah. because mm. I, nice I feel like there's sure. not much that's shown or expressed. It feels, I'm not saying that their love isn't real, but like story-wise, like Eliza feels like a prop. Like she's kind of just there to be like, well, Ken is going to have a son. And we don't even know what they're doing with Mel, but it's just she's there. There's not much. I mean, you see her care for him and stuff like that, but I don't know. There's something about the fact that, like, you see Effie supporting Necro. You see it, like, in-game. I mean, even, like, I don't know, Alpha 2's stage with Dalton with his wife in the background. Every time he mm-hmm. gets she hit, she, like, him, winces. She cheers for him when he wins, like you're you're experiencing it so like i feel like those relationships are a lot more pronounced than what ken and eliza's is it's kind of just she's his wife and yeah he's rich like it did there's not i think the only time that you really feel some sort of connection to her in the story and it still could be seen as a narrative prop is in ryu final when like you see that ken fights for his family and that's like a inspiration where Ryu understands that it's not just about the fight for some people. I mean, and that's cool, but like, I mean, it's Ryu final. Ryu final is amazing. So, (laughs) you know, of course, like the story in that is going to be cool, but in terms of like actual canonical stuff, like in the game, like you don't really get that with Ken and Eliza. You kind of just get that she's there, you know? So yeah, I'm team Effie and Necro. I'm team Nephi, I guess is what they would call them. Hey, they would. <laughs> that would be the deal, actually, right now. They'd be like, hashtag Nephi. That's what that would be, yeah. yeah. 
Yeah. Nice. Yeah, great choice. I, that that was that was going to be my second uh, choice. But, oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> but no, no, no. I think That's it's right. awesome. But, no, uh, but James has an habit of stealing uh, other people's uh, IDs. Yeah. <laughs> it used to be me, but I passed the mantle on. I had to do yeah, it. Man. Yeah, 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 man. You, the the yeah. cat's out of the bag, you know. It's facts. Yeah, it's 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 nice to uh, have to 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 connect, you know. Yeah, like I, I totally agree with what you said about um, it. It doesn't feel like she doesn't feel like a prop. It doesn't feel forced because um, she has her own presence in in the game. Like the two mm -hmm. characters work off of each other, and they both make each other more interesting. And just the fact that uh, they're together in in victory and in defeat is really cool. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like it's a yes. really nice yeah. way of showing like a healthy, supportive mm -hmm. relationship. Yeah, hundred like, percent. Yeah, yeah. Her, her yeah. animations are so nice. They really yeah, are, man. Yeah, <laughs> when they're singing together, they they look so happy. And then when, when yeah. he's KO'd and she just comes and like lies down next to him, it's it's just very sweet. It's uh, yeah, yeah. It's 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 awesome. Like the more you see it, it's just like, oh man, like this is. Yeah. There could have been a whole about that but you know the fact that it's simple makes it you, you cherish it that much more yeah kind of reminds me about how even in um in street fighter alpha 2 where there's a special animation in the background involving cody and jessica and then when a female character is selected like cody's looking oh, yeah. and then like Jessica like slaps him yeah like things like that <laughs> are just like really really just oh chef's kiss do you know what i mean like they just added such yeah. a great amount of personality and stuff i was just i was looking for it right now and i found it so yeah it's, it's really cool just yeah. to see those little bits of extra uh narrative spice in the background characters it's, can do a lot and they could tell you and a it's lot. it's funny because like that was not in i don't think i may be wrong about this but i don't remember that being in the u.s console versions of alpha 2 uh hmm. i think that was one of the two things that were censored was like the the background animation because i think they thought she was pinching cody's nipples or something because her fingers are like <laughs> really close to like his chest so like, oh my God. i think <laughs> that's not in the oh console no version. i never then, oh my yeah, God. and then there's a guy <laughs> in the bathroom who's like scared and they have their pants down on birdie stage and the door opens and you can see them I think they took that out in the U.S. console version as well. So. I, I remember oh, wow. catching that character in the background uh, for the first time. In the, I, you know, I was in Thailand, so I had, I had the Japanese version. I was like, did I yeah. just, did that just happen? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like it's there's yeah. So like that's one of the two things that were yeah. uh, like taken it's out. It's like a you... really androgynous looking guy too. Yeah, you don't know who they mm. are or what yeah. gender they could be. They could be anybody, but yeah. you know, they took that out. Um, but yeah, I remember buying the Japanese Sega Saturn version and seeing that with Cody and Jessica, and I was like, "That is so cool!" Like, <laughs> I, you know, because I mean, Final Fight's my favorite, so I mean, obviously, like, I looked at every single character in Guy stage, <laughs> and when I saw that, that was like a really cool moment. So yeah, yeah, she really turned all the way in on the slap as well. She's she's like oh, man, legit, she like hella hard. follow through. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, she really like she goes up on like she goes up on like uh, on her toes, and yeah. She really does. Yeah. Yeah. The positioning him. of that would be a good anti-air. Like, Jessica would be good at Street Fighter. I'm telling you, she should, <laughs> listen, Jessica for Street Fighter 6, you know what I'm saying? Listen, let's get Who it. Who knows? Who knows what's going on with that? Yeah. Yeah. It's but okay, cool. Is it, 
she like gives him the slap that's more like a hook and then like she just yeah. goes back to like settling her head <laughs> on his chest like yeah yeah, yeah she's like i got my feelings out okay we're good <laughs> Yeah, the, the the slight shake on the fist as well is great. It's like a boiling up of the temper type thing. Very cool. But it's so subtle. It's also subtle and so well executed. I'd love to see it. Yeah. But yeah. But there's so many of the cool things which I want to speak about too. Like, I've got like a bajillion and one like other Pokemon related things. But just generally, I wanted to speak a little bit about the the idea and like the nature of like Valentine's cards and stuff. I already put this in before, but we, we will post this later for the people. But um, yeah, we have here that I've just posted in a uh, link uh, a link romantic Valentine's Day card where it just says like "yas" romantically. You know that that sound that he makes when you like when you roll and stuff. Mm-hmm. So like what is this all about like i love seeing these so much and i think it's great the fact that like there are whole sets of like uh of articles online that are literally based on like exactly this just people just make all different kinds of valentine's cards for all different kinds of game characters and stuff it's just amazing like there are just so so many it's really really cool i love it yeah, that, that, that's a, a, a subgenre of uh, fan art that i wasn't aware of <laughs> <laughs> oh wait oh my gosh wait we missed out thomas i forgot i went in yeah, too early i went in too early went in too early <laughs> you're swayed by his his romance song yeah it happens it happens to the best of us after the best of us thomas my friend you go ahead okay uh because i'm french i have to be to, to find a game you know that is both that is Dramatic, of course, because uh, dramatic love is is the best, of course. No, not at all, not at all. And um, <laughs> so I'm going to pick uh, Dylan and uh, Senua in a Hellblade, uh, Senua's oh. Sacrifice, hmm. which is a very interesting uh, relationship. Which is, what is interesting first that you only play Senua, and actually when the, the game starts. Um, Dylan, which was uh, who was a lover, uh, is already dead, and uh, she is uh, a picked. Uh, picked are the the northern uh, England uh, tribes from before the the Christianization and uh, the Viking invasions, and uh, they they believe that the the soul of people were in the skull, and uh, Dylan was uh, killed by a barbaric invasion so probably a viking invasion and uh, he was offered as a as a sacrifice to vi- to, to to viking god gods and so his soul is supposed to be uh, to be trapped into uh, helheim the the um, the hell of the the, the viking and the nordic mi- mythology and so she uh, begins a, a travel to uh, Helheim to eventually recover the, the soul of her lover and uh, takes his place. So uh, he can uh, rest in peace, I would say. And she, uh, she, always, she, she does that because uh, the, the main character, uh, Senua's, Senua is uh, suffer from uh, from psychosis that is expressed in the game, with, um, which means that she doesn't see or hear the world the same way we do and uh, one of the ways that is is that is very well uh, done in the game is that she will often see things like engulfed 
in lights or flames or different things like that. She also can hear a lot of um, of voices that will encourage them or uh, or make make her desperate. She sometimes hear uh, the voice of her mentor that will that uh, in the past narrated him uh, the the tales of the Northmen, and so. Uh, the reason why she loves him so much and she 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 goes to this journey is because as uh, in the um, in the past people with mental uh, illness were often excluded from uh, the community because they were they were seen as a i don't know uh, <laughs> strange i suppose or, <laughs> or maybe uh, you know cursed things like that I, I and mean, so like People used to have super, you know, natural explanations yeah. for it. It's still common in many parts of the world for people to blame <laughs> that kind of thing on like demonic possession or other sorts of influences. Yeah. yeah. Mm. And what what is explained in the game is that Senua suffered a lot of uh, suffered a lot through the, the hands of her father, who was very displeased by uh, her her illness, and uh, she eventually found someone who was not judging her for her illness, which was Dylan, and uh, they fall in love. So I really enjoyed this story because she, she goes through a lot of pain and she has to, uh, and, uh, and it's also a story of someone who managed to see beyond uh, the, the, the mental illness. And what's also very interesting is that if you, if you look on YouTube, the, um, the development in the game was made uh, very openly. And uh, you can find a lot of documentaries about uh, mental illness and uh, and psychosis, and uh, they insist a lot that the way people with psychosis see the world is not in is not wrong or bad. It's just different. Like they don't see the world as most common people see it. But that doesn't mean their version of the world is wrong, you know. And uh, that's very interesting that the. Um, that they that such a character managed to find love and goes to will go to so much trouble and so much uh, such an adventure and journey to you know uh, pay it back in some ways <laughs> so yeah that's uh that's one of the recent games that i really enjoyed for the is implicit you know love story in the background oh that's very nice yeah that's very nice also, if you haven't played this game, maybe maybe do it. It's uh, and uh, if you play it, play it with um, uh, with uh, not in uh, in stereo, but uh, in surround if you can, and uh, with um, with uh, a good uh, I, w I wanted to say a sound helmet, but that's not the, <laughs> the right word in English. I lost it. That sounds so cool, though. <laughs> yeah, sound helmet. <laughs> I, I believe in English we call those sound earmuffs. That's the one. <laughs> okay, so that was for me. I have uh, one or two more if you want, but uh, maybe later. Yeah, we'll get into it. Very okay, cool. Sean, this is your turn. You have to speak to us about your, your um, Bioware love stories, your favorite Bioware oh. love stories. <laughs> All right, okay, so... Good. So primarily when we're talking about Bioware love stories, there's everyone I think knows about Mass Effect. Um, maybe due to like the, the non-scandal that like Fox News had done where they kind of reported that you could, uh, you could have sex with aliens, which is true. 
but I, I always, uh, I don't always start there because I always thought it was funny how uh, it was always characterized like you could just jump. They were like, oh, this online game, you could have sex with other people, you jump right in. It, and what they don't tell you, of course, is first of all, not an online game. Uh, second of all, they don't tell you how much work it takes to get to like the one sex scene <laughs> at the end of the game. Um, <laughs> like it's it, it's characterized like it's a, like it's a porn game or something, but obviously much more complex. And I we're also going to have to talk about um, Dragon Age as well because they have different oh, approaches. Yeah. But mm-hmm. I'm going to start with Mass Effect because I think that's everyone knows probably Mass Effect better. And and something that I realized in in going back. Uh, uh, over over time is that uh, when I went back and played Legendary Edition, um, once you kind of know all of the different types of relationships you can get into and you can kind of see how their philosophy evolved over the games. So kind of like in the first game, your, your choices um, in terms of romance are really between uh, Ashley, who's kind of a space racist, um, and then you have Caden, who's... Not a very interesting character from my own yeah. perspective. <laughs> uh, I'm trying to think of a nice way to say that. that um, that's a nice way of putting it, yeah. Um, and, and Liara, the, the blue alien, uh, who is technically not female or male, but like obviously looks female. And so obviously there's, a, again, spoilers, uh, a point in the game where like uh, you have to choose between Caden or Ashley dying, right? Um, like There's no other choice. There's yeah. One character is not going to make it. And... I, I am uh, not ashamed to tell you that every single time my romantic choices were absolutely the driver of that decision. Um, and I've played both as Femme Shep and, and Male Shep. But uh, there's part of me that was like, oh, you know, I remember it being much more complicated because you have to kind of like, you can't just walk up to them and be like, hey, you want to be in a relationship? You have to like kind of do things that they approve of. Like all Bioware games have this like back end approval system. Um, we'll talk about Dragon Age in a second, how, how they, they went real crazy with that. Um, but I, I don't know. I just, and as the games progress, um, you can like, uh, you can start up relationships, but then you can like cheat and you can change relationships. And if you start carrying on multiple relationships at a time, especially in like Mass Effect 2, they'll confront you about it. Um, and there's like ways that you can kind of like talk your way out of it and avoid it. Um. And then as they kind of progress and they add more characters, then there's like things you can do where you can just have like hookups or you can have long-term relationships. Um, but what's so interesting is like, it's not just driven by dialogue options, although that is part of it. It's it's also driven by uh, like doing things for them or um, doing certain quests. And, and like, I don't know. So the, the good part of it is like, I feel like before we talk about other biogames that they actually do a really good job of, kind of mimicking how real relationships develop like they you can't just hit buttons they don't not everybody has chemistry like sometimes uh you you have to kind of like find out about each other and it's really done through like spending time together and talking um mm-hmm. i else want to interject before i jump to the the, the dragon age situation because that's a whole thing go for it i mean i'm you want... waiting for dragon age but you know yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, all right mm. so so the um obviously like Mass Effect was one of the the first times that like uh, obviously Swotor has got some of this stuff in there, but uh, it's not as it's not as compelling. Um, what I really like about like Dragon Age is so obviously there's far more characters that you can romance even in Dragon Age Origins. And I was a ton of one of this before we started the podcast that I also discovered that you can get through Dragon Age Origins and end the game in a love triangle. Um, and it I spent way too much time making sure this outcome happens. 
like more time <laughs> than I did in anything else in the game. And it's basically like where you have to like, and so Dragon Age also has a, um, a gifting system, right? So the way that you curry favor with individual party members is both in not just how you talk to them, which changes whether or not they approve or disapprove of you, um, but also how you, you act in certain situations, like what decisions you make. Um, and the, the game is actually pretty brazen about being like, Leliana disapproved of this. Like, and you're like, oh no, I'm trying to, I'm trying to romance her. I can't. So then you're like, you're constantly in this, like the amount of times that I would like plan out my actions and be like, okay, Morgan's not going to like that. Liliana's going to, going to like it though. And you know, what about, um, but also <laughs> like, am I romancing, uh, Zebrin who, you know, cause some, cause like Dragon Age also introduced, uh, LGBTQ characters. Like some of them kind of go both ways. Some of them are same sex. Some of them don't care. So there's also a like, oh, I want to leave that door open. So maybe I'll make this decision. And then like, but, but then you'll you'll screw up something, which I did a few times. And I'm like, oh, no. I, I, and and I, I was got into this weird metagame of trying to equally romance everybody until the game stopped me and made me choose. And then I was like, okay, so once you get to a certain point with them where you're like, you can use gifts to kind of... Uh, you know, cheat and, and like up their approval. But what's also funny is if you give them the wrong gift, then you get like a massive demodif like a basically a massive demodifier. So like if you give them an insulting gift, they'll go like negative 50 in approval. And I had a few times where I thought I was being super thoughtful. I was like, oh, she's into the chantry or yeah. Oh, he's into swords. He'll like this. And they were like, no, that was wrong. Negative 50. And I'm like, oh shit, how am I going to make that back now? Um, so I spent way too much of Dragon Age Origins uh, j just trying to, like, get everybody, like, not ever actually making a decision. And then there's a bunch of things you can do because once you get to that point, it starts triggering jealousy dialogue. Um, and every character, I found this out, has two jealousy dialogue triggers. So you can trigger it on every single character and you can get out of it the first time. Like, you can actually get out. You can, like, sleuth your way through a jealousy conversation and not actually end in the relationships. So, like, the game really, like, lets you be this player where you're, like, constantly carrying on all these relationships with your entire party. It's super irresponsible for, like, a hero that's trying to save the world. Um, and yet, it's, like, one of the most interesting metagames, I think, that, that Dragon Age has. And I'm not even talking about Dragon Age Inquisition, which is a whole other situation. But a mess. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, so anyway, I, I was able to successfully beat the game and kill the archdemon while both uh, in a relationship with Leliana and Morgan. And you can also have like a side relationship with Zevrin, even if you're a male warden. And I don't know. I thought it was a very fun metagame. Um, and I'm not ashamed at all. <laughs> I feel like more people who play Persona should play mass effect yeah that was that was one of the most yeah, you you know oh persona 5 you know as a relationship and love uh, system and you can date uh, like everyone in the game at the same time <laughs> oh yeah that's but, true yeah, yeah despite the game not being very uh very gay friendly and things like that like it's only 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 female characters but you can like date all them all at the same time and there's a, there's an hilarious video that you can find on youtube where where someone managed to romance like everyone <laughs> and mm -hmm. come, when comes valentine's day the, uh, the the main character is in the the coffee where the where the um, where he lives, and suddenly all female characters come with chocolates. Like all of them, there's like eight ladies 
around him. <laughs> They're all saying like, what is the meaning of this? In the end, he gets beaten up. Uh, he gets beaten up by, uh, by everyone, which was... And, and that's the end of the story. And I, I felt it was a bit easy. <laughs> you, get, you get out of this a bit too easily, I think. But well, that was a, that, that was a, funny, uh, a funny moment to witness. I mean, I, I think if you want to see a game that explores the repercussions of that, the, the same developers made Catherine. Catherine. Right? Yeah, yeah, I was going to talk about yeah. it. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. sorry. Uh, yeah, yeah. Go, please get into it. No. Oh, okay. So if people haven't played Catherine, it's a, it's a game where you play Vincent. And uh, Vincent is uh, in his 30s, if I remember correctly. And he's the kind of person who's not very good at adulting or not even good at uh, thinking about being uh, more adult and he lives with Catherine, Catherine with the K and um, she's a bit she, she, she's ready like she's ready for kids she's ready for marriage <laughs> she's ready for everything but she's not and uh, one day he meets uh, well he's a, a bit drunk and depressed by this situation at the bar he meets Catherine with a C and um, and Catherine with a C is like the the, the, the perfect opposite of uh, his uh, his own Catherine because she's uh, she's funny she's um, uh, uh, flirty uh, very uh, very in your face thing like that and uh, the next thing he, he, that happens is that he wakes up and. Uh, Behind him, uh, in his bed, uh, that's the wrong Catherine. Like not not his girlfriend, but the the one he met at the bar. And uh, he's he, he suddenly has weird dreams where he has to climb mountains of cubes and uh, arrange them in a puzzle while being uh, hunted by his adult nightmares, like a. Uh, <laughs> Like a, a screaming baby or things like that, which are very terrifying. And so each stage is um, is almost like a day or a week. I don't remember exactly. And uh, and you have to make to, to take decisions and answer conversations that will uh, determine if you will end up with your current girlfriend, so Catherine with a K, uh, the the new Catherine, which looks a little bit like a demon or a succubus or something like that it's it's um you know a bit uh i don't know if it's said uh directly but uh, it's something like that or if you end up alone because you try to uh, manage both and uh, of course that doesn't work at all so uh that's very one of the most interesting things of the game is that each time you finish a stage you have uh, a question that is asked, like, uh, do you think I don't know qu questions that li like you you could find in a in a, a test, like a um, you know a, a woman uh, shitty test magazine, you know, and uh, <laughs> things like what? Yeah, yeah, very cosmopolitan, exactly. Yeah, and uh, each time that you answer a question, you have the statistics of all other players in the world and how they answered this question too. So you can compare <laughs> your answer to others and that's super funny from time. So yeah, very, very good game, I think. Not, uh, I'm not sure about the, pro it, it, had a red, it was published on uh, Steam recently, I think, but it was not the last version. And the last version has a third character. And uh, I oh, think, yeah. but, 
and I'm not sure about this, but uh, the 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 this game has uh, I I know there were conversation about some trans transphobia in this game uh, from for for some characters and for the the new uh, the new character that uh, that comes in the in the remake. The, the, but uh, I'm not sure, so I'm going to stop uh, there. But uh, if that's something you are susceptible about, just do your research before taking the, the new version of the game. Yeah. Mm. That's all for me. <laughs> no, sure. Sure. Okay. Who is next? I want to go real quick. I just okay. want to talk about one character specifically that's had a couple of interesting relationships in other games. Um, I want to speak very briefly about Ellie from The Last of Us, one of my other favorite games. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so, yeah, Ellie's awesome. Um, if people don't know, Ellie is one of the protagonists, well, initially side characters, and also protagonists of uh, the initial Last of Us games by Naughty Dog. And in Last of Us 2, which I'll be speaking about briefly in a second, she's also the main protagonist in that game too. The Last of Us is a game in which a cordyceps fungus grows and grows and grows and takes over people and makes them, you know, in a, it, they, they become a certain type of, not a zombie specifically, but they become these things called clickers. And yeah, the world is ravaged by this, in essence, uh, a pandemic of sorts, but it's just with regards to this uh, cordyceps fungus that doesn't stop growing. So yeah, in within that world, within that apocalyptic setting, uh, one of the characters, Joel, he meets this 14-year-old young girl who is seemingly immune to this cordyceps fungal, you know, virus. She's not able to be turned into a clicker. She's not able to be turned into a monster. And so the goal is to try and see what is in her that can make, you know, her uh, be able to you know, not succumb to this virus and stuff. And so you've got to get to a specific area in the world to see what they can do to, you know, check her out. But within this world, there are a few human beings who are still, you know, normal and regular, people who haven't been uh, at all affected by the actual virus itself, still affected by the outside world around them, obviously. Everyone's been settled off into, well, sorry, squirted off into factions. Everyone has to, you know, like actually survive for themselves. They have to learn how to kill people and other things, hunt, how to utilize, you know, weaponry, all sorts of different things. But within this world, romance still exists. People still have romance uh, as an option. It's still something which occurs within the world quite regularly even. Um, even at the very start, it's hinted kind of that uh, Tess, one of the other characters that uh, you oh meet at the God. very start of the game, yeah, yeah it's yeah, it, it's hinted that Tess and Joel at one stage had quite uh, heavy feelings for each other. And even, again, there's a there, there's spoilers that I won't get into, but like, they end up departing with Tess for a reason. And during that period of time, uh, Joel seems to kind of like shell up a little bit because every time he seems to lose someone that he really does care for, and obviously, obviously they cared for each other, he kind of shells up quite a lot and doesn't really want to, you know, express and open up at that stage in the game. But I'm about to speak about this now. Uh, Ellie, in in the, the DLC called uh, that was released later on called Left Behind, she meets a girl called Riley. And yeah, uh, they have a really interesting sort of like journey as a heroines in this, in this world. I think it's really, really interesting the way in which they sort of like so easily made us feel as though, you know, we were uh, Ellie, right? Like we, we, we feel as though we are in essence, this little young girl who's going through these really tough times at the moment. The game is played from through a first, sorry, a third person perspective. And obviously, you know, using firearms, 
improvising weapons, utilising stealth to defend against, you know, hostile enemies and zombie-like creatures. It's all very scary. But, like, Ellie isn't someone who's just going in guns blazing like, you know, like Doom Guy or something, right? She's a young girl. She's actively scared sometimes. She sometimes says, like, holy shit, when something's going on. Like, she, she emotes, like, how you would emote. And one of my favorite things about this is when you get to see her in areas that would be a bit more tense or a bit more dramatic or a bit more serious even, like you see her talents and you see her skills come through, but you see her personality come through. And you see the wonderful, wonderful work done by all of the writers. You see Ashley Johnson's amazing work. You see so much of that come through to the forefront. But anyway, though, the plot about this is, after an ambush leaves Joel severely injured, um, Ellie has to search this abandoned mall in Colorado for supplies to heal him, basically. So it's her job to make sure that he gets, you know, to be, you know, better. He needs different things, and she has to go out and get them. So she discovers this med kit in this, like, derelict uh, military uh, helicopter that crashed, and she has to make her way back to the unconscious Joel. But before that, Ellie has to deal with all these infected members of, like, hostile groups and stuff. And Joel, obviously, was injured in the first place. She has to fight her way back to him to treat his injuries. But months uh, earlier, before that period of time, Ellie meets Joel. Oh, sorry, Ellie meets Joel, and Riley surprises her at their Boston like military like boarding school. And like they run away. Like she, sorry, she runs away like a month ago. And then she reveals that like she just joined the Fireflies, which is this, which is this, uh, like a revolutionary like paramilitary group, like a militia. And yeah, like he, she takes Ellie like up, like out to like explore like this abandoned mall. And like it through this like story that you actually see them become much more, you know, like like I said, like like little kids, if for a sense, right? Like, they actually get to have fun, like, on a carousel. They have fun at a photo booth, an arcade. They even have, like, a water gun fight. And it's really sweet because, like, in this world where everything is so dangerous and derelict and there's such danger at every single corner, like, every single time something happens, it's good. Every single time there's a bit of a, a bit of a innocence kept in the world, something else occurs. And because of that, I got to get into this next part now. So, basically, hey, hey, real quick before you move on, I just on. wanted to mention a really cool detail about the game. Uh, there's a point... oh, go ahead. You got it. You got it. No, I, I, mean, I just want to. I just want to let people know about because I thought it was really cool. Um, yeah. So there's a, a point in that part of the game that AJ's talking about where there's like a photo booth that you can go into and you can do different things. And one thing that the game does that I, I actually had messed around with it when I when I when the game count and played it is you can actually do your own photo booth thing and then you can post it to Facebook or like Twitter and whatnot from the game directly. Um, like it has kind of like a weird like in worlds out of worlds uh, type of uh, social media approach, but uh, it also gives you a lot of flexibility. Like you can be goofy or uh, sweet in it but um they they actually spent a lot of time on like these aren't just like just, i wanted to kind of reinforce that they're not just cutscenes. um a lot mm -hmm. of them are very interactive like all these things that are happening like you're mostly in control of ellie while it's happening uh so that's a very good that, point that was really a cool touch no no that's, that's that's actually really relevant to what it is i'm going to get into later but that's perfect because um yeah, like just like what it is you're saying that a lot of this is interactive and you get to walk around and like check out different items and just do all this stuff whilst you're talking and walking. But um, like I was saying, Riley, uh, she reveals that she has been assigned to a group of fireflies in a different city. So she broke the rules one last time to come see Ellie, you know, very Romeo and Juliet-esque sort of like breaking the rules to come and be with someone who you care about. But Ellie tells Riley that she supports the decision, obviously, and she, as she wants, as she knows Riley's wanted to do this for a long time, they're going to have to part ways at some stage. And yeah, they do this really cute thing where Riley plugs Ellie's little walkman system that she has because Ellie just has a whole bunch of, you know, like uh, <laughs> tech from like way before she was born and she 
she just carries it around with her all the time. So she plugs Ellie's Walkman into like, the sound system of an electronic store, and like they dance together like on a display case. And then Ellie tearfully like she's like crying, she's like begging like Riley kind of like not to leave. And then Riley agrees and rips the Firefly pendant off, like causing Ellie to like, kiss her. So that's like, Ellie's first kiss in that moment and stuff. And it's really, really like cute. But one terrible thing, like I just said, when something good happens in this world, something terrible happens also. So Riley responds obviously happily because, you know, they've just, you've just kissed your first love for the first time and it went well and it's seemingly perfect and picturesque. But they're playing music and the music is loud. So a horde of infected drawn by the music and are pursuing both of them and they outrun most of the infected for a second, but they manage to fight off the remainder of them. Unfortunately, they are both bitten in the process. Now, this happened before she met Joel which is why I mentioned that earlier. Joel is somebody who has to, again, be looked after in some cases by Ellie. But the whole reason why she even gets to do that is because for a lot of the time, she can't be infected. And this is, in essence, the reason why. So instead of instead of actually, you know, joining the infected in a sense, they consider shooting themselves and, you know, both actually doing that at the same time. But they choose to spend their final hours together. And I thought that was one of the most amazing things because in 2013, almost 10 years ago now, which blows my mind, but... I was really getting into, I was getting into games a lot and I was also getting into love a lot and I was figuring out what teenage me wanted from other people in my life and what it is that I felt that I could give to other people in my life at that stage, you know, just figuring out emotional development about different people, about what it is that we like, what it is that we don't like, all these different things that you figure out as a, well, I was like 17 then, about 16, no, 17, yeah, but all, all these things that you figure out around that period of time and stuff with people and this really, really reminded me of that, of those moments where you find somebody and things seem to be going, you know, sort of just perfectly, right? Like everything is just so. You've got the perfect moments where, you know, they fall into a kiss and they're dancing to the music and like, you know, against all odds, they've defied everything and they've been able to set up this seemingly perfect romantic date that would be perfect in the real world, never mind in, you know, the middle of apocalypse, right? And they've got it all, they've got it all going on. It's all going perfectly. But unfortunately, at the very end, after everything that goes on, they get bitten. But in doing so, in that bite, the love still endures and they choose to spend those final hours together. And that's what really sort of like gets to me, I think. It's really interesting because there's another moment in the game where she says to Joel, like, you know, I've lost people too. And you don't really know what she's talking about. But once you end up playing or seeing this, you end up knowing what she's talking about. And I think it's very, um, yeah, it's, it's heartbreaking, really, because like when you're that young, obviously going through anything like that would be an incredible amount of stress and intense pressure. But in that specific scenario, too, I can only imagine what someone would be feeling, you know, like going through something like that, that exact sort of like chain of uh, events in such a specific way. Really, really, uh, it's a really bittersweet thing, I think. Just they show that, they show the enduring of um, of human relationships, especially in love, especially in romance. I think a lot of that can become, you know, the, the rose between the thorns of apocalypse and between the... Uh, the uh, the, mach the machinations of like you know terror and horror and fear and you know evil right like just every time you see something in this world when you see two people you know like holding hands at uh, some of the squares right when you're walking through at the very start or when you see that someone has a baby right with them that means that at some stage two people were in love or they were together intimately at least you know what I mean and like it makes you just it makes you just think about the fact that like humanity and uh, our ability to love each other or our care for each other, our empathy can still live on even in those super dire times, I think. And I think that's very special. It's a very special thing. So yeah, it's cool. And thusly, it was proven that love can indeed bloom on the battlefield.
it's true it's true yeah i was gonna get into yeah. like the parts and stuff with like with dina too but i'm not sure because like i'm not sure if anyone's played the last of us too like i've not even finished all of it myself i'm almost done I mean, but like there are a lot of stuff there's a lot of uh, stuff with regards to like that yeah. game too like ellie's a bit more grown up and she has another girlfriend and she's called dina and like i love the fact that they you know they ride horses like together and like they do all these things and like she's an active part of like the gameplay just as joel was for you initially and it's just it's really really interesting the way in which they've been able to move and shift and change so many different you know story and narrative beats while maintaining similar mechanical systems but at the same time as well after this they've been able to sort of like add different plays on them with the, the narrative and with the actual writing itself so they'll say different things to each other and those things that they say they'll mean other really important things down the line and it sounds so simple to do that's just having a conversation with someone you might think right but no it's actually really really hard to get so much of this to flow as fluidly as they do so again massive shout outs to all those people at naughty dog doing the magnificent work but yeah just a really really good character for relationships and you know romance in a game or in a game series ellie's great and i think especially with regards to you know the fact that ellie is a woman who dates women she's a she's a lesbian woman and i think it's really cool just the fact that not only do we see this character be at the forefront of a hit series overall but they don't they don't play upon it in a way that comes off as like cheesy it's, it's a real like grounded thing and it's also just a very intrinsic part of like who it is that she is who it is that she is you know portraying and also it's just yeah really well written really really solidly written i really enjoyed it yeah, yeah. if if yeah. anything last of us 2 in this regard is a game that really makes you feel um i think with all of the things that are going on in the game uh any sort of aspect of love that's explored in the game feels incredibly genuine uh which is difficult to do you know a lot of times uh especially a character like ellie usually it feels like boxes being checked and in this case, it feels natural. It feels like this is what this character would do, how they would handle these situations, how they would interact. And even the other characters that accompany, uh, like, the love story elements, like Dina, uh, all of these things feel incredibly genuine and specific. And it's, it's such a horrible time, but it's yet it has nuggets of, like, beautiful moments in it. And uh, I think that that's, like, one of the relatable factors to the story and like Ellie's journey within like love. So I wanted yeah. to also add it. I think a lot of people that haven't played it might have criticized it as just putting the relationship in there. But I think one of the, the powers and there's even an article article about like how good naughty dog is about like interactive storytelling, but it's also one of the ones where the relationship between them is not just like, Oh, here's a romantic relationship throughout the game. It's them having a, Friend, like a relationship right like it's it really explores the what's it like to date someone when it's not just like you know flowers and romance right it's a uh, it, you actually watch a like a friendship and a romance build um and there's a lot of like walking into different places where the the dialogue and the story is delivered as part of the gameplay it's not just like here's three cutscenes. um not to call it some final fantasy games but like oh here's one cutscene where now they're in love have a nice day like, there is uh, <laughs> quite a bit more exploration uh, than I think a lot of people, if you haven't played through the whole game, like, may not give it credit for. Um, but I think they they do they do actually a, a lot more work in the game of selling the build-up. We were talking a lot about, like, I don't know, teenagers before. They also do a really good job of, like, setting it up as, like, a 
teenage relationship blossoming into like more of a realistic uh, like partnership relationship if that makes sense like because even the beginning of the game has a lot of like very teenage drama romantic-y things even in the world of last of us which is like a pretty oppressive yeah <laughs> like mm-hmm. overall tone absolutely does uh, you, you give me a perfect transition to uh, another game and i can't it's very complicated because i can't uh say much but have you heard about the red strings club no, um, the Red sure. Club. It's a it's it's a game, but the the deconstruct team. Uh, I think they're Spanish, and um, it's a game where you play uh, several characters, but among them there's um, a guy called Donovan, and he's a barman, and he's is uh, um, uh, an information broker at the same time. And uh, most of the game, the gameplay is like you you create cocktails that. Uh, influence the emotions of the people you that you to which you serve the cocktails, and uh, you use those cocktails to grab inform the information you need in order to sell them later. And there's a beautiful, like, uh, heartbreaking uh, relationship uh, in this game with. Uh, with uh, two characters and I can't say a lot because uh, that will be a uh, huge spoiler about the, the, the world game and, uh, and the end but overall if you're looking for a good uh, if, <laughs> if Cyberpunk uh, 2017 didn't work for you maybe you'll go- you're going to enjoy this one mm. because the, the narrative is basically you play the, the, the first character that you play is an android and this Android is uh, is designed to build extensions for humans, so they can be I don't know more intelligent, more have more strengths, things like that. And you escape from your lab, and you end up being a waiter uh, in the famous bar that I, uh, I mentioned, uh, the Red String Club's bar. And uh, each I will say each level, each stage, is a character coming and uh, talking about themselves and sometimes they talk about love they talk about work they talk about their past uh, sometimes they they tend to fall a little bit for the um, for the barman who has ex- uh, excellent conversation and uh, in the meantime there's a backstory about controlling emotions and uh, removing emotions from people using technology and uh, you have a lot of philosophical um, conversations between the barman, Donovan, and the android, which is, I think it's named Akara or something like that. Uh, and that's that's a, a, brilliant, a brilliant game, like very, very emotional game. And there's a love story inside that. And I can't say much about it without, you know, spoiling everything. But yeah, if you, if you want grounded characters in a world that is not very uh, not very kind and uh, and you don't want you know the, um, the 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 love story or the the sexuality or things like that to be defining traits of character but more like a kind uh, bonus to the whole story that's definitely the game you should play I think it's not a long game. Uh, it can run on a toaster because it's a, a 2D game, 
and uh, the 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 soundtrack is absolutely incredible too. So yeah, yeah, I I highly recommend it. Wow, I'd never heard of this until you yeah, uh, neither, yeah? just mentioned it. Yeah. It sounds really interesting. And uh, yeah, it's it's a, it's a game you can do in like one weekend or, or, or a few evenings and uh, I think it's probably out on the Switch too. So it's a, it's a good uh, bedtime game. So I, I, I really recommend it. Like very, very good game. Please play it. <laughs> okay, I'm going to have to left you uh, to leave you guys because the the love is calling and uh, <laughs> or, um, <laughs> more precisely uh, my partner uh, is calling me for dinner time so <laughs> it's time uh, it's time I leave you I'm sorry about that but um, it's cool okay uh, have a nice evening talking about love or morning for Sean or night for Richmond and uh, don't forget l'amour is very powerful <laughs> <laughs> au revoir take care au, re <laughs> au revoir des bisous <laughs> <laughs> okay Rad. alright so who's gonna go next then and what about we've done pretty much well not almost everything we have a couple oh, things man, there's so many that I'm I, thinking about can I, and... can I jump into one since we were kind of talking yeah. about Naughty Dog um, yeah. Why? Why? Why not? Um, what I actually considered like this being my favorite. It was one like it kind of snuck up on me. So, um, y'all might be aware. Like, I have kind of this like tumultuous relationship with the Uncharted series. Like, I actually <laughs> didn't really want to like it for a very long time. Um, mm -hmm. And you could probably argue like the kind of the creative direction differences between like Neil Druckmann and Amy Henning. Um, but um, I actually think uh, after they kind of capped it off with. Uh, Uncharted 4, that I think the relationship between Nate and Elena Fisher is actually really well done. Um, by which I mean, like, early on in the game, she's kind of just a love interest. Like, and that, like, you can kind of admit that the earlier Uncharted games are much more interested in being like action movie set piece games than mm -hmm. character dramas. And I, obviously, that was a major turn from when Neil Druckmann took over the game. But one thing that's kind of really interesting about the fourth game specifically is that they, they actually, he did take this running relationship buildup of Elena Fisher throughout the games. And by making like kind of a lot of the plot of, of the fourth game actually centralizes around, um, or at least it has a kind of basis in their relationship. And I think what was really interesting is that uh, even back in the, the earlier games, what uh, the writer team writing team kind of picked up on was that like uh, um, there's basically um Nathan Drake has two girlfriends within the series. Uh, Chloe, who is the protagonist of Lost Legacy, uh, the the kind of DLC-esque game that came after the fourth one. And then, of course, uh, Elena Fisher. But they always have this kind of thing where she tends to be his morality, um, even though he kills a shitload of people. But in terms of, like, not leaving people behind, helping other people, um, whereas, like, Chloe tends to be the, the, like, the devil on his shoulder in the earlier games. Um, so they always kind of bring her back as like this moral compass that kind of aligns to how he wants, wants to be as a person. But I think the really interesting thing about them as a couple that Naughty Dog does really well in Uncharted 4 is, uh, and again, kind of related to what we were talking about, where they focus more on the underlying friendship. Like, why do these people like each other? And you kind of get this, there's, there's very like an underlying theme within Uncharted 4 of missing the glory days like the, the it, again spoilers for people who haven't played um <laughs> it kind of very much <laughs> starts out with nathan drake like living a normal life 
uh, and or at least trying to live a normal life with her. He's just like diving for salvage. They have a you know a nice apartment. You know she writes whatever. And but there's like there's constantly like there's this underlying like they have happiness but they don't. Um, and there's a, a a kind of a a portion of the narrative is a back and forth between how similar both of them are, their kind of desire for adventure that they feel like they have to give up in order to be happy together. And I feel like the way they explore it in the game is actually really, really, really good because it's, again, it's not over the top. They don't use it to set up like air quotes, romantic moments, or they they treat it with like a lot of respect. And then like there's parts where he lies to her and betrays her and it's him working through what he has to lose and what he has to give up or what he wants to do. And through the part of the game where Elena comes back into the story and you're actually traveling with her as a companion against something Naughty Dog does very well, they deliver a lot of exposition and interest about the relationship through a a massive part of the game where you're just doing stuff together with her. And it's not like clean, like they're upset it with each other. It's like, you're actually watching like a married couple that um, has shit to work through, but they also kind of realize their love for each other. There's like a really, really good scene uh, near the end of the game where they kind of discover all of the dead pirate captains. And they do some really amazing, like I think acting and camera work, like Nolan North um, specifically, where not only is it like very well acted from the character perspective, but they also do things where he's like, passionately describing like this is where they they die these are the best the the greatest pirate captains ever and the, the camera's actually focusing mm-hmm. on elena and like there's this definitely like there's moments where you can kind of tell this is like she's like this is why i fell in love with him this is like we both miss this it isn't just about so i feel like they do a lot of this great um messaging around even if you're uh, afraid of different things with each other or they're having kind of tumultuous relationships that if you have uh like the underlying thing that if you find someone that you are similar to and you value the same things um that you can kind of you can get through it you can make it work and they they uh i i think that the reason i i bring it up uh, since we were talking about naughty dog is um their writing and storytelling has always been very good but this is kind of one of those where uncharted was a game where i was like i feel like it has no business having a as good of a well fleshed out relationship and story as it does <laughs> because it's, it's meant to just be a stupid action game, but they really spent a lot of time on it. And I think it pays off really well. Um, as part of a core part of the narrative. Oh, definitely. Definitely. I remember so many different moments from the very first game. And then now I'm just thinking about this, just the fact that like they've kept they they kept so much of the charm still. And I remember when I when I did boot up four, and then when you meet, you know, like a well, it's not even like a spoiler really, but like you meet Nate's brother, and like you just you, you go through so many different emotions, and you see them, you know, reeling from all of this uh, exposure to that. I think it's just, it's just really interesting. I, I like it a lot. Yeah, really, really good series of games for real, and especially in terms of the romance and some other options there as well. What is that woman called with like the with the black hair? I forget. Nadine. Nid, uh, Nadine. Okay. Like, she is also a, a she's a protagonist of Lost Legacy as well. Yeah, yeah, that was it. That was it. That was it. Yes, yes, Nadine Ross. That was it. Cool. Yeah, you know the thing is, I've never played the the Uncharted series, but I've definitely yeah, watched cool. cutscenes, and I was like, wow this almost feels too good to be true that this is a game 
in terms of the storyline, like the their relationship. Like I definitely had that moment of like, am I watching a Netflix show or am I playing a game? Like I'm watching a cutscene, like because the the writing <laughs> is like super strong. And I, it was one of those like, man, like I didn't know this character had this much step. Because whenever I saw like Uncharted, like you know, box art or anything like that, you know, it's very like jumping away from explosions, looking cool. And I mean, mm-hmm. who doesn't like that, right? But like when I saw like cutscenes from a lot of the later games, I was like, wait a minute, these people feel real. Like nothing mm. about this feels video gamey in terms of that particular aspect of writing. So, you know, that was something that definitely pulled me in and made me want to like play them. Mm-hmm. Like I said, I, for the longest time was really not interested in Uncharted. Richard might even remember like in college, I would, I, I would call stuff like old Navy, the video game. Cause of like what Nathan Drake would wear going on adventures. <laughs> but but <laughs> like now that I've given it a chance and played through it, even those choices are intentional. Like they're trying to kind of show what right. an everyman he is. Like he's not, he's like, he's like Indiana Jones, but like not as, he, he's like far more flawed. And I feel like um, even to your point, like even though we're talking about love, like they also, even though they kind of retcon his brother into the fourth game, they do such a good job of making the relationship convincing. Like uh, in terms of mm-hmm. why he, his motive, like his motivations work. Um, and they they play into the conflict in inside himself like so to, to your point they feel like real people and in my opinion uh the relationships in the story game are like far better than they have any business being for such a for for such a franchise that's really based on explosions and jumping away from them and set pieces and stuff mm-hmm. uh, but i think it's i think they really pay and they also pay it off in the end like uh, again spoilers like the end of uncharted 4 you're basically still with Elena and you play as their daughter for a brief portion of the epilogue. Um, so anyway, I, I wanted to bring it up because I feel like it could fly under people's radar, but it's super worth it. If you like the type of game that uncharted is like the style of that game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's mad actually. Cause like there are, it's, it's crazy. There, there's so many good games just like that, that can meld and like weld together such a, um, such tight action sequences that are just so, so good, these are set pieces. And then, like, they'll have you thinking about what the characters actually, like, you know, actively saying in their downtime, too. It's just, it's really, really cool. Yeah. Yeah, it has you thinking more about, like, it's like, you, you're you're almost seeing past the 3D model of the character, you know, because mm-hmm. you're experiencing something that is so specific to you know, like a normal average human being, but like you're seeing these things orchestrated through like a larger than life 3D character. Uh, mm-hmm. And it transcends the whole idea of like a game for a moment because you're you're able to relate to uh, these characters through things that maybe you've experienced yourself or through other people that you know. And seeing that kind of happen, it, it creates like a specific synergy with you know, all the hard work that a lot of writers do for games and then, like, for that five-minute cutscene to hit you the way that it does, like, it shows that that work, like, really pays off. So it's a, it's an interesting moment in games where, like, you know, you, you remember your own life and your own experiences in those situations and you're just like, man, like, that was that was heavy, you know? And not in, like, a terrible way where you're like, I don't want to play this anymore, but more just like a very self-reflective like wow like i know what that feels like or like i Mm -hmm. have an idea of what that feels like Uh, and i think that's a really cool thing for 
uh, games to provide for people. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Okay, cool. That was good. That was good. That was good. I think we should wrap up. I think we're about ready to wrap up. Yeah, yeah Valentine's like Day podcast. Cool. All right. Okay. Um, yeah. Thanks everyone for for tuning in. Um, you know, I, I hope uh, yeah, uh, you all have a nice uh, special Valentine's Day. Um, if if mm-hmm. that sort of thing is in the cards for you. And, um, <laughs> Happy Valentine's yeah. Day! For when this comes Happy out, Valentine's Happy Valentine's Day. Day. Go smooch your loved ones, yeah. everybody. Happy Valentine's yeah. Day, everybody. Yep. Happy Valentine's Day. Or smooch Day. a video game. <laughs> all, all that. <laughs> yeah, or or get your Pokemon together. They have a long-lost relationship that needs mending. So, Absolutely. <clears throat> right. So, um, yeah, thanks for listening. Um, yeah, if, if you want to catch up on our previous podcast, you can just head over to arteater.com. That's A-R-T-E-A-T-E-R.com. And uh, I'm, I'm your host, Richmond. Uh, thanks so much for listening. Uh, if uh, you want to see what I'm up to, you can follow me on Twitter at uh, Richmond underscore L-E-E. Um, yeah, I'm always on there talking about art and you know, games and uh, animation. Um, so yeah, shoot, shoot me a message and let's, 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 let's hang out down there. And uh, everyone, please let our listeners know what, what you're up to and how they can uh, follow along. All right, I'm uh, Sean. I'm usually here, so you can follow me on Twitter at Daborsk, D-A-B-O-R-S-K. Um, I, uh, since I lead the design teams at NZXT, I talk a lot about PC gaming, uh, but also been uh, doing a lot of uh, writing and uh, actually mentoring. So I'm kind of be calling out um, ADPList.org. Again, it stands for Amazing Design People. So a lot of different types of uh, design leaders and professionals on there. If you're someone that's trying to uh, I don't know, needs help on your portfolio or get, you're trying to get in the industry or uh, you want advice. I, I've been doing a, a ton of it, uh, just like talking to different people. Um, so it's uh, it's super cool, super free as well. There's also a bunch of group sessions for different topics. So I uh, highly recommend it. You can you can uh, find me on there. Just search for my name or, um, you know, look, look around in the gaming category. Not surprisingly, I'm tagged there. Um, and then, yeah, otherwise, uh, follow me on Twitter. I'm doing a bit more writing, uh, also to reveal that I'm also working on, uh, a couple of video essays. That's a goal I have for myself for this year. And I may not tell you which ones, but, um, this is actually something that me and Richmond sort of did in college, which is that I took something he wrote and then I made it into a beautiful, a printed manual, a printed book for, uh, it was something that he wrote about Ghost in the Shell Innocence. But in this case, I'm going to take some Art Eater articles and I'm going to turn them into video essays. Oh, um, dang. So um, I haven't, I, so I'm just now starting to collect footage, but uh, soon Art Eater content will be watchable. It's one of my, uh, yeah. honestly, one of my, one of my favorite things. I, I watch tons of video essays and I just love seeing craft broken down in a way that's just really easy to do something that Richmond's articles are quite good at, which is why uh, they're delicious, great in- ingredients for making great video essays. But um, I-, I really am excited that I think some of them really are assisted by seeing a lot of the footage and material alongside mm-hmm. uh, actually hearing it spoken and and shown. So I'm going to give that a shot, but I wanted to call it out because it will be soon on the YouTubes, hopefully. Um, but yeah, look out for that. Otherwise happy Valentine's day. Wow, you, you, yeah. you heard it here first. 
it's, yeah. it's a surprise to me here. too. So this is yeah. awesome. Yeah, yeah this is cool. Yeah. Right here. Like I'm yeah. excited to see how that's gonna uh, yeah. absolutely continue, man. Me too. Uh, oof. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, and of I'm, course. Uh, oh, please let me know how I can help. I don't yeah, know. that's what I was gonna yeah. say. It's like whatever help mm -hmm. you need. We're we're all we're all here for you for that. Absolutely. Uh, so I guess I should talk a little bit about I guess me. Uh, <laughs> I'm James Stanley, uh, better known in the Twitterverse as Beefy Kunoichi. That is B W E F Y K U N O I C H I. I am a character designer, storyboard artist, comic book artist, uh, indie comic creator. I just like to draw a lot of cool stuff. Um, I actually have started my own Patreon which is something that I never thought I would actually do. But uh, I've had a lot of people ask me, like, well, how do you get your lines to look this way? How do you do this? And I, I really wish I could see, uh, you know, what goes into your process and to, to what you do, um, which I've always been kind of flattered about. But I'm, I'm one of those people who, like, you know, I feel like I'm still learning. But uh, I've gotten to a point where I do want to kind of share uh, some of these things with people if they feel it will be helpful. Um and for some people who are just nosy about how I draw. So um, I actually have started it. I started it at the end of January. So this is officially the first month of my Patreon. Um, if you've seen my art before and you're interested in uh, my process, uh, my influences, uh, what I have going on with a particular project called Part-Time Shuffle, uh, this would be the place to see it before anybody else on the internet. So uh, if you're interested in that kind of stuff, if you see what I do on Twitter and you want to see more of it, uh, feel free to look up my Patreon, which is the same name as my Twitter handle, uh, Beefy Kunoichi. And uh, like I said, you know, if you're into it, I appreciate the support in advance. And uh, yeah, that's all that's going on for now. But there's definitely some new news coming in the forefront. So I'll let you guys know then. Nice. Look at cool, the cool. Yeah, go to that Patreon. Absolutely. Yeah. I was just going to say, like, these guys are doing such cool stuff. Definitely hop in and give the support. Just because Thomas isn't like here, I just wanted to shout him out very briefly, very quickly. Obviously, I'm not Thomas, but if you do want to actually end up speaking to Thomas, you can find him out there on Twitter. He's actually been posting quite a lot of stuff recently, even actually. It's kind of funny because um, we all got to go like right now, obviously. But yeah, with him not being here, it's just like, uh, I can't like be him, but still, I'm going to go for it. So yeah, you can find Thomas. He's um. He's always doing cool stuff. Uh, Bazgon Pro, uh, he's always got that stuff going. He's got these articles out here, which he writes about in French. And obviously he talks about fighting games and fighting game development. And also has done a lot of different work regarding web development too. I think he's doing some stuff currently for James at the moment as well still. And a bunch of other people too, which he will be continuing to do. He's very, very good at it. For all of you, for all of you HTML, CSS type stuff and all the rest of the web development things, you can hit him up on Twitter. That's at Thomasaurus. That's at T-H-O-M-A-S-O-R-U-S. So that's Thomas. He's not here. I'm not him. He's a wonderful French man. Okay, so I'm going to go be myself now. Cool. So, hey, everybody, what's up? It's Adam. Pleased to be here once again. Uh, I'm a game and level designer, as you know, a pixel artist and also international taekwondo fighter. I'm getting back into taekwondo fighting life now because I just had my first proper full session back. I did a bunch oh, of nice. hours on Friday, which was rad, and it was really, really oh, fun. Cool, so yeah, I train with the, I train with the team and we fight internationally. We start to get ready to do this again. We have numerous different tournaments coming up now since so it finally started to open back up, and I'll be tweeting about that. 
and a bunch of different things throughout the rest of this year. So it should be good. And yeah, it's just, um, it feels nice to be, to be uh, back out there properly, like hitting the mitts, kicking the bags, doing the things. Yeah, it feels good. It feels real, real nice. Yeah, it's good. It's like, it's like you blow like a layer of dust off a really good book. And like you get to properly like read it again and stuff, and feel the the book texture and stuff yeah. like non dusty. That's, uh, that's how it feels right now. It feels good. You're feeling those uh, yeah. King Kafwan pants. For the- that's what I'm saying. I'm I, okay. Listen, all of you guys, you all need Dobok pants. We all need to get that. Do- <laughs> we need to get that done at some stage. They're all great. But yeah, um, just to hop out about what I, what it is I do, um. You can go check out what it is that I do out there on the internet. If you go check me out on Twitter, that's uh, AJ Mattis on Twitter, A-J-M-A-T-T-I-S. I love to share and retweet all kinds of cool art and creative projects that I see. If anyone needs any other help or pixel art-related work or anything else like that, I have some people reach out to me sometimes because of this show, and it's very cool. So if you'd like to be another one of those people, hit me up. Hop in the DMs. We could talk about art. I could show you if you need if you need help with anything, or if you want any kind of work or commission doing. Like I said, just hit me up. And yeah, that's pretty much everything I've got to say. So uh, yeah, if you like anything that I'd say, drop me a follow over there. But if not, let's just roll with it and take care. Stay safe, and I'll see you all next time. Happy Valentine's Day. Give your friends a smooch. And uh, yeah, bye. All right, take care, everybody. Later. Bye, everybody. Je vois quelquefois danser la mer Au fond de tes yeux, de tes yeux si bleus Je vois l'infini d'un beau ciel clair Et je m'imagine Sur un blanc voilier Où nous voguons à deux Tout un été